Chapter 6, verses 24 through 31. Of Catina Aurea, Gospel of St. Luke, Part 1, by St. Thomas Aquinas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Verses 24 through 26. But woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. Cyril, having said before that poverty for God's sake is the cause of everything good, and that hunger and weeping will not be without the reward of the saints, he goes on to denounce the opposite to these as the source of condemnation and punishment. But woe unto you rich, for ye have your consolation. Chrysostom. For this expression, woe, is always said in the scriptures to those who cannot escape from future punishment. Ambrose. But although in the abundance of wealth many are the allurements to crime, yet many also are the incitements to virtue. Although virtue requires no support, and the offering of the poor man is more commendable than the liberality of the rich, still it is not those who possess riches, but those who know not how to use them, that are condemned by the authority of the heavenly sentence. For as that poor man is more praiseworthy who gives without grudging, so is the rich man more guilty who ought to return thanks for what he has received, and not to hide without using it the sum which was given him for the common good. It is not therefore the money, but the heart of the possessor which is in fault. And though there be no heavier punishment than to be preserving with anxious fear what is to serve for the advantage of successors, yet since the covetous desires are fed by a certain pleasure of amassing, they who have had their consolation in the present life have lost an eternal reward. We may here, however, understand by the rich man, the Jewish people, or the heretics, or at least the Pharisees, who rejoicing in an abundance of words, and a kind of hereditary pride of eloquence, have overstepped the simplicity of true faith, and gained to themselves useless treasures. Bede, woe unto you that are full, for ye shall be hungry. That rich man, clothed in purple, was full, feasting sumptuously every day, but endured in hunger that dreadful woe, when from the finger of Lazarus, whom he had despised, he begged a drop of water. Basil. Now it is plain that the rule of abstinence is necessary, because the apostle mentions it among the fruits of the Spirit. For the subjection of the body is by nothing so obtained as by abstinence, whereby, as it were a brittle, it becomes us to keep in check the fervor of youth. Abstinence, then, is the putting to death of sin, the extripation of passions, the beginning of the spiritual life, wanting in itself the sting of temptations. But lest there should be any agreement with the enemies of God, we must accept everything as the occasion requires, to show that to the pure all things are pure, by coming indeed to the necessaries of life, but abstaining altogether from those which conduce to pleasure. But since it is not possible that all should keep the same hours, or the same manner, or the same proportion, still let there be one purpose, never to wait to be filled. 
for fullness of stomach makes the body itself also unfit for its proper functions, sleepy and inclined to do what is hurtful. Bead. In another way, if those are happy who always hunger after the works of righteousness, they, on the other hand, are counted to be unhappy, who, pleasing themselves in their own desires, suffer no hunger after the true good. It follows, woe to you who laugh, etc. Basil, whereas the Lord reproves those who laugh now, it is plain that there will never be a house of laughter to the faithful, especially since there is so great a multitude of those who die in sin for whom we must mourn. Excessive laughter is a sign of want of moderation and the motion of an unrestrained spirit. But ever to express the feelings of our heart with a pleasantness of countenance is not unseemly. Chrysostom, but tell me, why art thou distracting and wasting thyself away with pleasures? Who must stand before the awful judgment and give account of all things done here? Bede, but because flattery, being the very nurse of sin, like oil to the flames, is wont to minister fuel to those who are on fire with sin, he adds, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. Chrysostom, what is said here is not opposed to what our Lord says elsewhere. Let your light shine before men, that is, that we should be eager to do good for the glory of God, not our own. For vain glory is a banful thing, and from hence springs iniquity and despair and avarice, the mother of evil. But if thou seekest to turn away from this, ever raise thy eyes to God, and be content with that glory which is from him. For if in all things we must choose the more learned for judges, how dost thou trust to the many the decision of virtue, and not rather to him, who before all others knoweth it, and can give and reward it, whose glory, therefore, if thou desirest, avoid the praise of men. For no one more excites our admiration than he who rejects glory. And if we do this, much more does the God of all. Be mindful, then, that the glory of men quickly faileth, seeing in the course of time it is passed into oblivion. It follows, and so did their fathers to the false prophets. Bede. By the false prophets are meant those who, to gain the favor of the multitude, attempt to predict future events. The Lord of the mountain pronounces only the blessings of the good, but on the plain he describes also the woe of the wicked, because the yet uninstructed hearers must first be brought by terrors to good works, but the perfect need but be invited by rewards. Ambrose, and Mark, that Matthew by rewards, called the people to virtue and faith. But Luke also frightened them from their sins and iniquities by the denunciation of future punishment. Verses 27 through 31. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and if him that taketh away thy goods, ask him not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Bede, having spoken above of what they might suffer from their enemies, 
he now points out how they ought to conduct themselves towards their enemies, saying, But I say to you who hear, Ambrose, having proceeded in the enumeration of many heavenly actions, he not unwisely comes to this place last, that he might teach the people confirmed by the divine miracles to march onward in the footsteps of virtue beyond the path of the law. Lastly, among the three greatest, hope, faith, and charity, the greatest is charity, which is commanded in these words, love your enemies. Basil, it is indeed the part of an enemy to injure and be treacherous. Everyone then who does harm in any way to anyone is called his enemy. Cyril, but this way of life was well adapted to the holy teachers who were about to preach throughout the earth the word of salvation, and if it had been their will to take vengeance upon their persecutors, had failed to call them to the knowledge of salvation. Chrysostom, but he says not, do not hate, but love, nor did he merely command to love, but also to do good. As it follows, do good to them which hate you. Basil, but because man consists of body and soul, to the soul indeed we shall do this good by reproving and admonishing such men and leading them by the hand to conversion, but to the body by profiting them in the necessities of life. It follows, Bless them that curse you, Chrysostom, for they who pierce their own souls deserve tears and weeping, not curses, for nothing is more hateful than a cursing heart, or more foul than a tongue which utters curses. O man, spit not forth the poison of asps, nor be turned into a beast. Thy mouth was given thee not to bite with, but to heal the wounds of others. But he commands us to count our enemies in the rank of our friends, not only in a general way, but as our particular friends for whom we are accustomed to pray. As it follows, pray for them which persecute you. But many on the contrary falling down and striking their faces upon the ground, stretch forth their hands, pray God not for their sins, but against their enemies, which is nothing else but piercing their own selves. When thou prayest to him that he would hear thee cursing thy enemies, who has forbidden thee to pray against thy enemies, how is it possible for thee to be heard, since thou art calling him to hear thee by striking an enemy in the king's presence, not with the hand indeed, but with thy words? What art thou doing, O man? Thou standest to obtain pardon of your sins, and thou fillest thy mouth with bitterness. It is a time of forgiveness, prayer, and mourning, not of rage. Bede, but the question is fairly raised. How is it that in the prophets are to be found many curses against their enemies? Upon which we must observe that the prophets in the imprecations they uttered foretold the future, and not with the feelings of one who wished, but in the spirit of one who foresees. Cyril, now the old law commanded us not to injure one another, or if we are first injured, not to extend our wrath beyond the measure of the injurer. But the fulfilling of the law is in Christ, and in his commands. Hence it follows, not to him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. Chrysostom, for physicians also, when they are attacked by madmen, have then most compassion on them, and exert themselves to restore them. Have thou also a like consideration towards thy persecutors, 
for it is they who are under the greatest infirmity, and let us not cease until they have extinguished all their bitterness. They will then overpower thee with thanks, and God himself will give thee a crown, because thou hast delivered thy brother from the worst disease. Basil. But we almost all of us offend against this command, and especially the powerful in rulers, not only if they have suffered insult, but if respect is not paid them, accounting all those their enemies who treat them with less consideration than they think they deserve. But it is a great dishonor in a prince to be ready to take revenge, for how shall he teach another to return to no man evil for evil, if he is eager to retaliate on him who injures him? Cyril, but the Lord would, moreover, have us to be despisers of property, as it follows, in him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also, for this is the soul's virtue, which is altogether alien from feeling the pleasure of wealth, for it becomes him who is merciful even to forget his misfortunes, that we may confer the same benefits upon our persecutors, whereby we assist our dear friends. Chrysostom. Now he said not, bear humbly the rule of thy persecutor, but go on wisely and prepare thyself to suffer what he desires thee to do, overcoming his insolence by thy great prudence, that he may depart with shame at thy excellent endurance. But someone will say, how can this be, when thou hast seen God made man, and suffering so many things for thee? Dost thou still ask and doubt how it is possible to pardon the iniquities of thy fellow servants, who has suffered what thy God has, when he was bound, scourged, enduring to be spat upon, suffering death? Here it follows, but to everyone who seeks, give. Augustine. He says not to him that seeketh, give all things, but give what you justly and honestly can, that is, what as far as man can know or believe, neither hurts you nor another. And if thou hast justly refused any one, the justice must be declared to him, so as not to send him away empty. Sometimes thou wilt confer even a greater boon when thou hast corrected him who seeks what he ought not. Chrysostom. Herein, however, we do not lightly err, when not only we give not to those who seek, but also blame them. Why, you say, does he not work? Why is the idle man fed? Tell me, dost thou then possess by labor? But still, if thou workest, dost thou work for this, that thou shouldest blame another? For a single loaf and coat dost thou call a man covetous? Thou givest nothing, make then no reproaches. Why dost thou neither take pity thyself, and dissuadest those who would? If we spend upon all indifferently, we shall always have compassion, for because Abraham entertains all, he also entertains angels. For if a man is a homicide and a robber, does he not, thinkest thou, deserve to have bread? Let us not, then, be severe censors of others, lest we too be strictly judged. It follows, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. Chrysostom, everything we have we receive from God, but when we speak of mine and thine, 
they are only bare words. For if you assert a house to be yours, you have uttered an expression which wants the substance of reality. For both the air, the soil, and the moisture are the creators. Thou again art he who has built the house. But although the use is thine, it is doubtful, not only because of death, but also on account of the issues of things. Thy soul is not in thine own possession, and will be reckoned to thee in like manner as all thy goods. God wishes those things to be thine which are entrusted to thee for thy brethren, and they will be thine if thou hast dispensed them for others. But if thou hast spent richly upon thyself, what things are thine? They are now become another's. But through a wicked desire of wealth, men strive together in a state contrary to Christ's words. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. Augustine, he says this of garments, houses, farms, beasts of burden, and generally of all property. But a Christian ought not to possess a slave as he does a horse or money. If a slave is more honorably governed by thee than by him who desires to take him from thee, I know not whether anyone would dare to say that he ought to be despised as a garment. Chrysostom. Now we have a natural law implanted in us, by which we distinguish between what is virtue and what is vice. Hence it follows, And as ye would that men should do unto you, do ye also unto them. He does not say, Whatever ye would not that men should do unto you, do not ye. For since there are two ways which lead to virtue, namely abstaining from evil and doing good, he names one, signifying by it the other also. And if indeed he had said, That ye may be men, love the beasts, the command would be a difficult one. But if they are commanded to love men, which is a natural admonition, wherein lies the difficulty, since even the wolves and lions observe it, whom a natural relation compels to love one another. It is manifest, then, that Christ has ordained nothing surpassing our nature, but what he had long before implanted in our conscience, so that thy own will is the law to thee. And if thou wilt have good done unto thee, thou must do good to others. If thou wilt that another should show mercy to thee, thou must show mercy to thy neighbor. End of chapter 6, verses 24 through 31.